Good morning once again, and uh, as Gary shared, it's such a joy to be able to worship with you all and to uh, sing the Lord's praises together. And uh, we are praying for Pastor James, that the Lord would bless him richly as he gathers together with other senior pastors for mutual encouragement, and also to uh, build relationships with other like-minded churches so that we may uh, support each other and encourage each other in mutual ministry. So we uh, are in prayer for him and uh, look forward to the fruit of that time. If you have your Bibles, please open them to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at a passage this morning from Ephesians chapter 5, and the text that we're going to be looking at is verses 18 to 20. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 to 20. For some of us, a familiar passage, and yet one that is filled with tremendous encouragement and tremendous instruction for our hearts. Paul writes this, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. As you know, our annual summer retreat is right around the corner We are anticipating a blessed time together in approximately three weeks as we gather together in Ontario for our Life in the Father's House 6 retreat. And as Gary shared, the theme of our retreat this year is Therefore, the One and Others. In some ways, this theme is a continuation of last year's theme, which was the One and Others. And last year we began a look at the New Testament teaching regarding the one another's in Scripture and how God has not designed us as Christians to live our Christian lives in isolation or in independence from one another, but to live our Christian lives in community, in relationship, in the mutual ministry of the one another's in the context of the local church. And last year we began a study of the one another's and we looked at one another, such as love one another. Uh, We looked at the one another to be united with one another, to encourage one another, to be clothed with humility toward one another. And this year we are looking forward to further exploring and further developing our understanding of the one another's in Scripture and understanding how God has designed us as Christians not to grow individually, not to grow independently, but to grow as a community in relationship with one another so that we would all be built up to the knowledge of the Son of God. We look forward to this time. The elders and pastors are preparing for this time and praying for this time. There's great enthusiasm and excitement for this time. I believe over 90% of you signed up for this retreat the week after it went online registration, and there's still room for more. And we are anticipating a wonderful time together as we gather together for four days and three nights to worship the Lord and to hear from His Word. Uh, This year we have intentionally added that word, therefore, the one another's, to emphasize that the gospel is central in the mutual ministry of the relationships in the local church. That it's not just we practice these one another's and just do these things, but it is because we believe in the gospel and we trust in the gospel and we have received grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It is because of all that Christ has done for us in his life, his death, and his resurrection. Therefore, we practice the one another's in the local church. It is because Jesus Christ has lived a perfect life, because he has died on the cross for our sins, because our sins are forgiven through faith in him, therefore, we love one another, we encourage one another, we are clothed with humility toward one another, and we are united toward one another in Christ. This morning, I want us to look at one one another in Scripture that we wanted to give to you in advance of the retreat. We wanted to give this one another to you in preparation for our retreat. We wanted to give it to you in anticipation of our retreat because this is one of the one another's that we will be practicing throughout our retreat. 
We wanted to give this to you in advance so that you come ready to practice this one another as we gather together as a church at the retreat. And this is the one another found in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 to 20. And if I were to sum this one another up, it would be in the words, sing to one another. Sing to one another. Or as Paul puts it, verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Paul says that we as the church are called to sing to one another. We are called to literally, laleo, speak, make sounds, make music, not just to God, but to one another. To address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And this one another is one of the mutual ministries of the church that can only be done in the context of the local church. And which results in the building up of the body of Christ and results in the maturity of the church to the knowledge of the Son of God. Now maybe you're looking at this text and you're saying, Dan, wait a second, I didn't know that singing is a one another. I didn't know that we're called to sing to one another. I mean, I know we're supposed to love one another and encourage one another, we're called to exhort one another, admonish one another, but sing to one another? Is that really a one another in the Scripture? And maybe you're looking at this text and you're saying, Dan, wait a second, I thought we sing to the Lord. I mean, I thought we come and we sing praises to God. And God is the focus of our singing time. So we focus on God during the singing time, and then in the welcoming time we focus on one another. Then in the word time we focus on God again, and then in the fellowship time we focus on each other again. So there's kind of like we focus on God, then one another, God, then one another. I thought that's how it works. But what we see in Scripture is that actually everything is intertwined and mingled together. We do sing to God because Paul does say that in verse 19, we are singing and making melody to the Lord. And yet he also says in verse verse 19 that we are addressing one another. Even as we sing to God, we are singing to one another. And we are, through our singing to God, exhorting one another and encouraging one another and calling one another to rejoice in the greatness of our God and what He has done for us in Jesus Christ. The one another found in this passage is the one another to sing to one another. And I just felt that this is one of the aspects of the church that maybe we could understand a little bit more biblically, maybe we could understand a little bit more comprehensively, because it is an aspect of the church that we practice every Sunday and that we will be practicing at the retreat. There are two reasons why I wanted to talk about this one another, and let me just list them for you. Number one, we should understand what Christian singing is, because singing has a practical centrality in the church. It has a practical centrality in the church. In other words, this is what the church does. Every time the church gathers together in worship, Every time the church assembles together, you will find singing. Every Sunday when we gather together, you will find singing. And it's not just what we do, it is what the church everywhere does. If you go to the Christian church in Texas, you will find them singing. If you go to the church in New York, you will find them singing. If you go to Detroit, the church in Detroit is singing. If you go to Africa, the Christian church in Africa is singing. Asia, Russia, Australia, wherever you go, Europe, what will you find when you find the church gathered together? You will find singing. Christians sing. That is what we do. That is what the church does every time that they gather. In my own travels, I've been to to Russia and I've heard the Russian church singing. I've been to the Philippines, I've heard the Philippines church singing. I've been to an Indian reservation in Arizona and I've heard that they sing in Arizona. I've been to the Czech Republic and found that the Czech Republic church sings and we thank the Czech Republic team for bringing back some of that wonderful singing to our church last last week. This is what the church does. All around the world, everywhere you find the church, you will find singing. 
And sometimes that singing is traditional, sometimes it is informal, sometimes it is accompanied by a pipe organ, sometimes it's accompanied by a hard rock band, sometimes it's accompanied by just a guy with a guitar, sometimes there's no musical company at all, it's just a cappella singing. All different styles and all different flavors and all different kinds of singing, but everywhere you go, you will find in the Christian church, they are singing. They are singing. That is what Christians do. That is what the church does. What is this singing? Why do we sing? What does it mean? What is its significance and what does it do in the church? Singing has a practical centrality in the local church. And it's not the performance that God is after. It's the singing. I want you to understand that. I've been to some churches where the singing's out of tune, and the music's out of tune, and every verse in the song is sung in a different key, but man, the people are singing. They're singing with all their hearts unto the Lord. And Paul is saying here that he wants us to address one another, not in musical performance, not in the quality of our singing, but in the heart of our singing. It says, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart is the idea here. So singing has, first of all, a practical centrality in the local church. But there's a second reason why I think we should understand the place of singing in the church. Not only does singing have a practical centrality in the local church, it also has a theological centrality in the pages of Scripture, it has a theological centrality in the pages of Scripture. Not only do Christians all around the world today sing, wherever you find the church assembled, but true believers in the living God have always sung. Throughout Scripture, whenever you have God revealed to His people in any way, you will find that their response is singing. This is what the people of God have always done. You can go all the way back to Exodus chapter 15 when God rescues his people from bondage to Egypt and he delivers his people with a mighty hand and he parts the Red Sea and he drowns Pharaoh's uh, chariots and armies in the Red Sea and the people of Israel walk through on dry land and he manifests his power and his glory and his sovereignty and his redemptive love for his people and what do the people of God do in response to what God has done? They sing, they sing, Exodus chapter 15. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God. And I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. They sing. They have seen the power and the glory of God. And so what do they do? What can they do? They sing. And at the end of this song, it says that Miriam the sister of Aaron took a tambourine in her hand and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. I love that. They danced. They not only sang, but they had a tambourine, they played it, and they danced. Still trying to figure out a way to incorporate that in our church's ministry. One day I'm going to teach a class in CBI called The Theology of Dance, and you'll all be invited. And we'll develop this theme in Scripture. But all I want to say at this point is that it's there. It's there. They sang, they danced, they played the tambourine. By the way, we're looking for a tambourine player for our praise team. Nothing like a good tambourine. If you can play, you can apply with me after service. They played the tambourine, they sang they dance. What a glorious moment in Israel's history. After 400 years of bondage to Egypt, they're free. And what can they do but to sing? 
I mean, there's just some emotions and some expressions that you just can't say in verbal propositions. You have to sing it. And if you had seen this and what God had done in rescuing his people, how could you not sing? And so this song goes on for an entire chapter, and they sing and they dance. They play the tambourine. You can go to 1 Chronicles chapter 16, one of the greatest days in King David's life, the bringing of the ark to the city of David. David assembles all of Israel at Jerusalem. He gathers together all the priests and the people. And on this great and glorious day, this is what he did. Verse 16, David also commanded the chiefs of the Levites to appoint their brothers as the singers who should play loudly on the musical instruments, on harps and lyres and cymbals to raise sounds of joy. In this great moment of Israel's history, there were musicians, there were singers, there was even a competent music singer who directed the music. And verse 28 says, All Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with shouting to the sound of the horn, trumpets, cymbals, and made loud music on harps and lyres. And they sang this song, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continuously. And the song goes on and on and it ends with this beautiful doxology. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Then all the people said, Amen. And they praised the Lord. See, at this point in redemptive history, there was singing. There was singing. And you can trace this theme throughout the Bible. And of course, we come to the Psalms, which has been called the heart of the Bible and in many ways summarizes the heart of the Christian experience. And the Psalms are God's own hymn book of praise. They are the songs that God himself has written to give expression to the songs of a redeemed heart and to give expression to the emotions and to the feelings that we as believers feel today. In Psalm 33, verse 1, the psalmist says, Shout for joy to the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to Him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. There is singing. There is singing. And would you note that the song that the psalmist represents here, it is a new song. It is a new song. It's not like the old songs that we used to sing before we came to faith in the living God. It's not like the old songs of despair and of discouragement and of hatred and of rage, and of confusion that we used to sing before we knew Christ. It is a new song. It is a new song filled with joy, of hope, of confidence, of faith. It is a song that is born in our hearts because through the gospel of Jesus Christ, God has made us into new creations. And as new creations, He has given to us a new heart. And that new heart has a new will and new desires and new passions and new affections. And what comes out of that new heart is a new song. New music comes out of the regenerate heart. It is a new song. It's not like the old songs. I remember when I before I became a Christian, I listened to a lot of old songs. A lot of what the younger, the collegians here would say, really old songs, 60s and 70s songs. We're talking 
clearance, Clearwater Revival type songs. The Cuisians have no idea what I'm talking about here. I mean, old songs. I used to listen to the Rolling Stones. Even went to one of their concerts. And Mick Jagger kept singing, I can't get no satisfaction. And the thing is that he's still singing that old song. He's over six years old and his song is, I can't get satisfaction. Oh, how sad. Oh, how sad is the old song. To sing the old song all throughout your life and the song that is emanating from your heart is, I can't get satisfaction. Well, that's not the new song. The new song is that Jesus satisfies. The new song is that we believe in the good news of Jesus Christ and He has forgiven us of our sins and He satisfies our heart. And the new song comes out of a new heart and we sing. How can we not sing? Because of what Jesus has done. And so the Psalms say, sing to him a new song. Psalm 108, verse 1. My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make melody with all my being. Awake, O harp and lyre. Wake up! I will awaken the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great above the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. The Psalms are divided up into five books and each of them ends with a doxology, a praise. Book one ends with, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Book two ends with, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be His glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with His glory. Amen and amen. Book three ends with, Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Book four ends with, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. And book five ends with the greatest doxology of all. Not just a few lines, not just a few words, but an entire psalm which calls all of creation to come and praise the Lord, praise God in His sanctuary, praise Him in His mighty heavens, praise Him for His mighty deeds, praise Him according to His excellent greatness, praise Him with trumpet sound, praise Him with lute and harp, praise Him with tambourine and dance, Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You see, this is the new song. This is the new song that's been born out of a new heart that has been created by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why unbelievers don't understand the new song. That's why we don't expect unbelievers to understand the music that we make as a church, because it's a new song. It's not like the old song. I was reading uh, Jeff Tan's testimony before I was presiding over his wedding, and he was writing about how he was invited to church for the first time first time he ever stepped into a church and his first impression, some of you may relate to this, his first impression coming into church was, why are all these people singing to a screen? <laughs> he didn't understand it. And we praise the Lord that since then he's come to faith in Jesus Christ and he joins us in that singing. And it's not to a screen, it's to the true and the living God. But we don't, under, we don't expect unbelievers to come into church and understand our song because it's a new song. It's a new song. 
And we don't approach Christians on the issue of secular music by making a list of do's and don'ts and making a bunch of legalistic rules. You shouldn't listen to this music. You shouldn't listen to that music. You shouldn't listen to that group or that radio station or buy that thing on iTunes. No. We simply point them to the fact that if you're a believer in Christ, God has redeemed you and given you a new heart and you sing a new song. There is a new song in your heart because of what the gospel has done in your life. When Jesus and his disciples took the first communion, it says they sang a hymn. When Paul and Silas were put into jail, it says that they prayed and they sang hymns to God. And what does the Apostle John see in the vision of the redeemed in heaven in Revelation chapter 5? What is going on in heaven right now? He sees singing. There is singing. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall be raised on the earth. Why do we sing? Why do we sing? We sing because Christians all around the world are singing. We sing because Christians all throughout redemptive history are singing. And we sing because what is going on in heaven right now, it is singing. And we pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the singing of the church becomes a taste of heaven here on earth. And if you've been around, you know that you know that there's nothing that can compare with the church's singing. I've been to many secular concerts in this world. I've been to, had a lot of great seats to concerts, and I've enjoyed my time there. But I will tell you this, the greatest secular concert from the greatest secular performer cannot compare to the simple gathering of God's people in his church singing the new song together it is a experience that transcends anything that this world has to offer because it is the new song and is a taste of heaven here on earth because we are doing his will as it is done in heaven we sing because Moses sang. We sing because David sang. We sing because the Psalms are written to give us songs to sing. We sing because Jesus sang. We sing because Paul and Silas sang. And it, we sing because the redeemed in heaven sing. And we sing a song that is not confined by musical style or musical taste. One of the things that happened to me when I became a Christian is my musical tastes change. And by that I don't mean that they shifted. By that I mean they expanded. Before I became a Christian, I liked one style of music and one only, and that was hard rock. I wasn't into pop. I wasn't into R&B. I wasn't into rap. I wasn't into ballads, I liked hard rock. That was it. A funny thing happened when I became a Christian. I began to like all styles of music. Because that music was given expression to the praise of God. Before I became a Christian, honestly, I didn't like rap music. I had friends who did. I just, it just wasn't my thing. And after I became a Christian, I began to listen to Christian rap. And I began to listen to born-again Christians, spirit-filled Christians, belting out the praise of God to this style of music. And a funny thing happened is I began to like rap music. In fact, I would make a case that rap music may be one of the conducive forms of music to give expression to theology, because you can fit so many more words. <laughs> I've heard born-again rappers 
belt out the entire book of Romans in one rap song. You can't do that with a hard rock song. You just can't. Before I became a Christian, I didn't like ska music. I had a friend who did. He took me to a ska concert. I almost died in the mosh pit there. I didn't like ska music. It's a, for you who don't know, ska, ska music is a fast reggae with horns added on top and a guy rapping in the front. And I didn't like it. And I became a Christian and I, I got this one CD. It was, called, it was by a group called The Insiders. And the CD was called Scalaluya. <laughs> I don't know if any of you have heard this CD. But I began to listen to it and it was giving praise to God through this style of music. And I began to like ska music. I confess to you today, I like any style of music that gives praise to the living God. I even like classical music that gives praise to God. Because the song transcends style. It transcends musical tastes. And there are songs that we can resonate with in all the diversity of musical styles from all around the world. And you can go to Russia and hear a Russian song and it's unlike anything you've ever heard, but it resonates with your heart because it's singing of the blood of Christ. And you can hear a Czech song like we did last week. And it's unlike anything you've ever listened to on your iPod. But oh, it resonates with your heart because it is singing of the greatness of God and the blood that was shed on our behalf. We sing because we have been saved and because the gospel has changed our hearts. Psalm 40, verse 3, He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Three points I want us to consider Briefly, as we look at Ephesians chapter 5. First of all, Christian singing is a response. It is a response. And what I mean by that, it is a response to all that God has done for us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. If you zoom out and you see the bigger context of what Paul is saying in this verse, you realize that all of Ephesians chapters 4 to 6 is a response to what God has done for us in Ephesians chapters 1 to 3. Paul first explains what God has done for us in the gospel of Jesus Christ before he calls for a response to live life in light of what God has done in the gospel. And so this call to sing in the broader context is a response to all that God has done for us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And what has God done for us in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Chapter 1, verse 3, He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Chapter 1, verse 4, He has chosen us before the foundation of the world. Chapter 1, verse 5, He has adopted us into a spiritual family so that He is our Father and we are His children. Chapter 1, verse 7, He has redeemed us, He has bought us from our slavery through the price of His precious blood. Chapter 1, verse 7, He has forgiven us of all our trespasses and sins. He has removed them from us as far as the east is from the west. He has plunged them into the depths of the sea. Chapter 1, verse 8, He has made known to us the mystery of His will. He has made known to us revelation that was not even known by the greatest of Old Testament prophets. Yet we are privileged to know these things. Chapter 1, verse 11, He has given to us an inheritance in heaven which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. In chapter 1, 14, He has given to us His Holy Spirit to live in us and to reside in us. 
chapter 2, Paul goes on to say that you were dead, but now you're alive. You were once the son of Satan, but now you are a child of God in Jesus Christ. In chapter 3, he says, God has not only saved each one of us individually, but he has placed us into this spiritual organism known as the church, which is a mystery that the Old Testament prophets did not see and did not know about. This new organism in which Jew and Gentile are bound together in common fellowship and common unity, unknown in the Old Testament, now revealed in the New Testament. You see, if you understand all that God has done for us in the person and work of Jesus Christ, the question is not, why should we sing? The question is, how can we not sing? How can we not sing? When we were once dead, but now we are alive. When once we were headed for hell, and now we have an inheritance in heaven. When once we were lost and blind, and now God has opened our eyes to see the beauty of His light in Jesus Christ. 1 John 5.3 says that God's commands are not burdensome. And this is one such command that is not burdensome. It is meant to bless and to enrich our lives and to build us up in the body of Jesus Christ. In Psalm 51 verse 15, David says, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. David says, there's already in my heart a song of praise. Lord, it's bursting and waiting to come out. Just open my mouth and I will sing. For you have changed and transformed my heart. Christian singing is a response. It is a response. We don't exhort people to sing to try to whip up their emotions. We don't exhort people, come on, you got to sing. Come on, you got to get into it. We exhort people to believe the gospel. And when you believe the gospel, it will create in your heart this song. Number two, we see in this text that Christian singing is an expression. It is an expression. It is an expression of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Verse 18, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The verse begins with an imperative, be filled with the Spirit, and then it follows up with a participle, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The imperative gives us the command, the participle gives us the result. And what Paul is saying here is that singing to one another in the body of Christ is an expression of the person of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Now there is so much we can say about this one command, be filled with the Spirit. We could preach a whole message on this one command, be filled with the Spirit. We can preach a whole series of messages on be filled with the Spirit. But the one thing I want to point your attention to this morning about this command is simply this. The Holy Spirit is a person. He really does live in you if you believe in Christ. He really does indwell you. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. He really does live in you. 1 Corinthians 12.12 says that we have been baptized into the Holy Spirit. Literally, we have been immersed into the person of who He is. So not only externally have we been immersed into the Holy Spirit, but internally He has come to indwell us so that our entire Christian lives are lived in identification with the person of the Holy Spirit. He has sealed us. He bears His fruit in us. And what Paul is simply saying here in this passage is that the Holy Spirit, having indwelt you and having identified Himself with you, He now wants to fill you 
He wants to dominate you. He wants to pervade your heart and bear His sweet fruit in you. And what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Look at the contrast. He says, do not be drunk with wine. The idea here is not taking a sip of wine or even a glass of wine. The idea is getting drunk. I mean, just drinking so much wine that you are, you've lost it. And he uses that picture of a drunk so intoxicated with wine to set up the command to be filled with the Spirit. And he says, I want you to be dominated by the influence of the Spirit. I want his influence to pervade you on a continual basis. Now you might be saying, Dan, that's great. I want to be filled with the Spirit. But practically, what does that mean to be filled with the Spirit? And I would just simply say, if you want to be filled with the Spirit, what you do is you find out what the Spirit is passionate about and what the Spirit's purpose is in this day, in this age And his purpose is real clear and it's real simple. John 16, verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, Jesus says, He will glorify me. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. What does the Holy Spirit want to do as he fills your heart and your life with his influence? What he wants to do is he wants to fill you with the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He wants to take a giant spiritual spotlight and put it on Jesus. He wants our hearts to be overwhelmed with Jesus. He wants our eyes to be captured with Jesus. He wants us to look at Jesus. When the Spirit comes, Jesus says, He's not going to have everyone glorify Him. He's going to have everyone glorify Me, Jesus says. He's going to say to the world and say to believers as He lives in them, look at Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Be amazed by Jesus. Worship Jesus. What Paul is saying here is that if you're filled with the Spirit and if you're dominated by His influence, He's going to lead you to be amazed and to be in awe and to be in wonder of the person and work of Jesus Christ. He's going to point you to His life. He's going to point you to His death. He's going to point you to His resurrection. He's going to point you to His ascension. He's going to point you to His second coming. He's going to show you Jesus. And how do you know if you're filled with the Spirit You're filled with the Spirit when you are resting in, believing in, trusting in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because that is the Spirit's passion in this day and this age. The Spirit would say to us, look to Christ, gaze at Christ, abide in Christ, rest in Christ. Be filled with the Spirit is to be focused on the person of Jesus Christ. And that is why our second point is really essentially similar to the first point. Because the first point was our singing is a response to what God has done for us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And our second point is that singing is an expression of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. And what does the Holy Spirit do in our lives as He lives in us and fills us? is he points us right back to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Why do we sing? We sing because of the gospel, because of Christ. Christian singing is a response. Christian singing is an expression. And thirdly, Christian singing is a ministry. It is a ministry. Verse 19, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The terms here, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, reflect the diversity of musical expression that is legitimate in the church today. 
It's a little bit unclear exactly the specificity of what they're referring to. Some would say that psalms refer to songs sung about the greatness of God. Hymns refer to songs sung about God's salvation. Spiritual songs refer to testimony songs of what God has done in our life. And I, that may be one way of understanding these terms, but it is a little bit unclear exactly what Paul is referring to here. But I think the point is, in using these different terms for singing, is to say that there is a wide variety of musical expression that gives place in our hearts, expression to our hearts, as we give praise to our God. And he says here, address one another. Address one another in in this singing. Laleo in the Greek, speak or more broadly, make noise to one another. There is this aspect of Christian singing in which it is ministry. It's exhortation. It's encouragement. There is something irreplaceable and something unique and something that is, cannot be duplicated when the church gathers to sing. Now, I love singing songs to God on my own. I love singing in the car. I love singing at home with my guitar. I love just singing on my own, but... When the church gathers, there is something that is unique and that cannot be replaced. Because we are not only singing to God, we are singing to one another. And as we sing to one another, we encourage one another to sing to God. And each together, we build each other up. And we encourage each other to pursue the true and the living God together. We address one another in our singing. And that is why the Singing of the local church's assembly is so important. And brothers and sisters, it's not a warm-up in the service. It's not like innings one to three of the Dodger game. We can kind of come in because nothing's really happening and then you kind of get to the seventh inning stretch and that's really where the excitement occurs. No, it is the mutual ministry of the church in which we build each other up. We address one another in our singing. The word in verse 19 for singing talks about vocal singing. The word making melody translates the Greek term solo, which talks about singing to musical accompaniment. And in verse 19, Paul says, We are singing and making melody to the Lord with all our heart, and yet at the same time, we are addressing one another in our singing. There is something about the local church in which God has designed for us in our lives that we cannot live without one another. We can't live without one another. We can't grow without one another. We can't thrive spiritually without one another. We can't overcome sin without one another. We can't treasure the gospel without one another. We cannot live our Christian lives without one another. And we can't even sing without one another. And how many times have I come on a Sunday morning, like many of you maybe, struggling with a difficult week, with a cold and a dry heart, and just saying, I just don't have a song of praise in my heart to God. And I come to the assembly of this church, and I see all around me believers who are singing songs of the gospel and of Jesus Christ. And oh, how it encourages my heart to sing. And my gaze is lifted up from my life and my troubles to see the beauty of the gospel and of Jesus Christ. And I begin to join in the singing of all the saints around me. You see, it's ministry. It's ministry. We sing, and as we sing, we call to one another, come and worship. Come and let us see Christ. Come and let us see and rejoice in the wonders of the gospel. Come and let us lift up our gaze from the mundane concerns of our lives 
and let us rejoice in our Savior together. And that is why David said in Psalm 111, verse 1, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. He said, I have songs. I'm going to sing in the wilderness where it's just between me and God. But oh, how my heart longs to go with the company of God's people and to sing God's praise. In the famous Christian allegory, Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan writes of the story of Christian who goes through life with many hardships and many trials and many toils. And it says that Christian, many times through those trials and toils, he was beaten down. But 50 times in that allegory, it says that Christian got up and he got up singing. He got up singing. He sings the song of the redeemed, the new song that was born in his heart. And he sings this song through his Christian life until God takes him home to be with himself. Psalm 95. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. Would you bow with me in prayer as we close our time together? Our Father, we give you great praise this day for you have born in our hearts a new song through the gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ, because of who Christ is, because of what He has done, because of His death on the cross, because of His resurrection from the grave, we have been forgiven, we have been adopted, we have been redeemed, we have been transformed. You have called us out of the darkness of our miserable, sin-cursed lives. And you have granted us this privilege to walk in the light and to see the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, how can we not sing? How can we not, like Christian, get up through all the difficulties of our life and to continue on singing until the day you take us home to be with yourself where we will join in the song of the redeemed for all of eternity and give you praise. So, Father, may our times of singing as a church be a taste, a little bit of heaven here on earth, and may we exhort one another and encourage one another through our singing that the body of Christ will be built up for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.